The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. On the big show tonight from CNBC's own Delivering Alpha Conference, billionaire investor Jim Cano says he is short Grubhub. Stock ends the day down 5%. The desk will debate. Then Tesla's Model 3 wins a top safety rating after a perfect crash test score. But is now a safe time to get into the stock? Buckle up. The traders take the wheel on this one. But first, Microsoft breaking out its growth, maybe its value. Whatever it is, it's been an outstanding performer. But is it still a buy right here, right now? And does Microsoft hold the key to new market highs? Guy, what do you say? Well, first of all, you have to, you know, we criticized Dan. On Twitter, really? he is criticized. Relentlessly. But he's Dan, right there. Why is he, no, 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 no. Why is he criticized on Twitter? But just for being for somewhat being dour at times. But Dan Danny has Downer. been Danny coined Downer. at MAGA. Times. And I know we can yeah. fire the graphic right at the yeah, top of the show. Knows a lot, yeah. Yeah. Dan does know a lot. And M, see, the MAGA trade. Yeah. Yeah. And look at the M and MAGA, as we know, is Microsoft. So that you say, on straight valuation, just look at this, uh-huh. you know, Price to earnings, it is expensive. Then you look at the last quarter. I mean, EPS beat was significant. The revenue beat was amazing. Azure grew 64% year over year. Operating margins were 230, point, 230 basis points better year over year. It's very hard to cast dispersions in this. Yes, it's trading at an all-time high. People make a big deal out of the $40 billion. It's a big number, but it's 4% of their, of their market cap. But it's not insignificant. So to answer your original question, yeah, I think it can continue to rally here in earnings. Mr. MAGA, yeah, what so, say you? So just from a trading standpoint, I think that, you know, the stock broke out to a new all-time high in early June, above 130. And it's basically been trading between 130 and 140 since then. Until today, you had this breakout on a bit... Good piece of fundamental news, to Guy's point. It's not the sort of thing that's going to move the needle, but it gives you increasing confidence they're going to continue to make, um, you know, to give sh- uh, money back to shareholders. Listen, this is also a company that's been smartly acquisitive. When they paid $26 billion for LinkedIn, I think a lot of people thought they were crazy. And then you think about what they're doing now in the cloud and how they're using these different pieces of the puzzle to get recurring revenue. It was kind of a smart buy. So to me, I think this thing, you keep trading it, um, playing for a breakout, it's going to consolidate as a his does from time to time, mm-hmm. but there's other legs higher in this name. Will this be caught up? If we do see the continuation of a, a rotation out of growth and into value, does this get caught up? Uh, no, because this is, you introduced it properly. This is value. So it's this and Apple are the two value names. Apple's up 40%, Microsoft's up 38%, both yielding the same exact thing. They're both value, but I will put the caveat, as Dan said, it does back up a little bit. It's got to hold 140. So real short leash, it's only a smidge, technical term, above 140. You got to hold out. But if it does break out, it's 150. So I I would phrase it. I agree with Steve on Apple. I'm not sure I could ever call Microsoft value here. I I, I think Apple falls into that camp. But the reassertion of the growth trade is part of what this is. Look around the world. I I pointed out to Dan this morning on our call about Samsung breaking out above 475. I'm kidding. (laughs) Dan Dan brought up Samsung on our call because I'm an EM guy, et cetera, et cetera. And it is fantastic. Look at Alibaba. Alibaba up through 182, 183. They're breaking through the upside of resistance 
sense. And if you think about what that means, or at least a sign of global cyclicality, uh-huh. those are some of the biggest market cap stocks in the world. So your question was, will they lead the market? Of course they'll lead the market. And, and, and Apple, to me, is the place you start, because I think the way Apple's traded through a very difficult two-week period is extraordinary. Their releases behind them, whether you liked it or not, um, the company has a lot of levers to pull. The same ones that Microsoft pulled on buybacks and, right. and you name it. So back to the original question, mm-hmm. is Microsoft going to be the key to new market highs? <laughs> As if no one answered it. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, I don't think Microsoft is the key to new market highs. I mean, you want the banks to continue to participate. I think at some point you need I think some of these material stocks, some of these old Rust Belt names that have been under pressure. So I think Microsoft is a great peg. And I think Dan was a genius to coin that yeah. term MAGA, but I don't uh-huh. think it holds the fortunes of the broader market. So, 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 it's MAGA and MAGA. So, so what I think is really interesting, so my contention has always been, you know, everyone was talking about FANG and Netflix it just doesn't move the needle as far as market cap mm-hmm. and as far as importance. You know, the thing about MAGA in general was that Microsoft was the only one confirming the highs in the S&P 500 since January of 2000. The only one, really. Google had that short one uh, alphabet in July, but then it fell back. I think you have very constructive charts right now in Google, um, in Apple. Um, not so sure. The jury's still out on Amazon. It's below that uptrend that would been in place since right. early December. But, but, but you, I do think that they hold the key a bit. To, uh, if you're going to get a meaningful though, breakout yes, the S&P, they need they're to the only ones that can. Hold the key yeah. just be, uh-huh. just from their mere just from the uh-huh. mere yeah. fact of their percentage. It's not going to be energy. We saw energy blip up, but energy is nothing as a percentage of the S and P. It's got to be these large cap tech names that continue to perform. They've already outperformed, and they must continue to perform. I think you have everything here, guys. I, I think you have the value that's actually following the growth. So the value would be the banks, and, and we talk about bank valuations, and there's a reason to push back on the valuations. But um, look at J P Morgan here, and, and look at the follow through from the financial community. But the other part of what we got two weeks ago, which was this great rotation, which meant actually higher yields and then move of also banks, but also transports and and, and some of the industrials. That's the combination here. So for everybody that said the market hasn't had the breadth, um, you need the leadership. So as you said, if Microsoft can give you that and Apple can give you that, that gives you a lot of what you need. Yeah, but hold on. The transports look really bad. I mean, they're making a series of lower highs. And, you know, to me, like that one seems it's confirming nothing. The the small caps. If you took out FedEx, I I think you have. Okay, so you're right. I mean, FedEx is a waiting, but but if you look at the airlines, they're they're doing fine. I think the rails are are certainly a place to be be hiding out. Who drew that chart? You know, Mike Santoli, right before they tossed to us, he just made a really interesting comment. He said, with J.P. Morgan making new all-times and Microsoft making new all-times, He posed it differently. We're not, we don't look like we're about to collapse right here, which is kind of interesting. Those are two names. There's no doubt about it. We've been talking about JP Morgan. Above 120, it's a level it's got like, like thrown back from three times over the last 18 months. The problem is you never look like you're going to collapse. That's, that's the, that's the problem. Yeah, and I wouldn't put it in such, in two hands. Like, XLF looked really weak just on a granular basis today. And I know there was concerns about trade. There was concerns about a host of other things, but the XLF closed really weak from where it started strong. It gave up. Up a lot of ground on the day you mean on the day on the day so the question that begs to be asked and i'm sure that's running around in your head is well let's see if you're in my head today you know i am you know i am i don't think she's gonna what? admit it even if you are she's gonna say going. something like well what is the next microsoft was that sort of your well that's actually the question i asked on the conference call today but <laughs> yeah sure go so with I it in your head. you guessed what is it what's the you're next gonna, microsoft you're gonna call guy? me crazy I, listen and steve has been right about this i think collectively around the desk We've all been right to say to cast aspersions with this name. 
But IBM, if you look, we might be on the precipice of maybe IBM turning that aircraft carry around wow. for the first time in six or seven years. Now, is it's Ginny Rometty Satya Nadella? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not making that okay. comparison. But maybe the Red Hat acquisition, although a hail mary, and they overpaid. Maybe that's going to help. Hardware. This that number was shocking to me because I thought a percentage of hardware you still think is a huge number in IBM, and it's 8%. They're yeah. turning, so they're very slowly turning around. You couple that with the blockchain investment they're making, and they're getting, maybe, there's some, maybe there is hope. Now, Katie Huberty, who is all over Apple, and yes. she's been the axe, she actually just, I believe, initiated IBM with a $170 price target. So it's crazy. It's yeah. a bit of a, you know, a high flyer, but maybe IBM could be something like Microsoft like was five years ago. all these guys think you're crazy. Well, I, well I, it's I, not. That's I, why we have conversations. That's right. That's crazy right. is a strong word. I, I appreciate guys' attempt to get in there and give us another idea. The, the turnaround story <laughs> at Microsoft and IBM sometimes are comparable. Uh, old glory translated into, into new world glory, which Microsoft has done. I don't think IBM is doing it in the short term. How about Facebook? And it, 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 it troubles me a little bit to say I've been, you know, I've certainly not been terribly constructive on Facebook, but if you see the rest of the group going, why isn't Facebook going to be part of this too? Just got above the one 90 resistance. This is also, if you look at this chart, all these ones that consolidated, all of these headlines related to regulatory pressures, break up the company, you name it, and they've digested it. If this market's going to move with Microsoft, Facebook has to be a part of it, and it will be a part of it. Yeah, so we sound all kind of geeked up here about mega cap tech right here. I think you really want to go back to just a few weeks ago when Cisco guided and what they had to say and the change of commentary in such a short period of time. Then you put FedEx just the other day, and then you even put Adobe, which has been a stock market Adobe. darling yep. that guided down. Now, the stock is kind of flat-ish or whatever, but I think as we head into quarter end, I think it's really important to keep an eye on some of the things that's right out in front of us, mm-hmm. and we're seeing weak forward guidance right. because of the uncertainty about quarter FedEx, X, and Adobe. You got it. Okay. Our next guest says Microsoft and one other Dow stock hold the key to understanding what's next for this market. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, it's kind of anticlimactic because you guys have already been talking about bull stocks. But Microsoft, I mean, just a beautiful uptrend. And they say the stock markets are driven by fundamentals and not technical. I mean, you couldn't draw a more picture-perfect parallel trend channel. So this is the second uh, stock repurchase program from 2016. It just expired. They announced the next one. Uh, we are towards the upper end of resistance. I trimmed half of my personal position a couple weeks ago. Wish I didn't. I added the other half today. You will encounter resistance at about 155, so just a heads up, and that's sourced all the way back from 2015. So just a beautiful uptrending chart. The other one, no surprise, J.P. Morgan, just a big, awesome breakout from a channel uh, in an underperforming financial environment. I mean, it's hard to be bearish this market with these two charts right here. So Looking at the breadth and some of the reasons why I think the broader markets will continue, let's take a look at advanced decline. The amount of advancing stocks minus declining stocks on the NYSE. And this is really interesting. Uh, this is really over the last six months, and it's been a leading indicator uh, two prior occasions. So if we look here, this is going to be like May to June area. The AD line broke out well before the S&P did in that exact same time period. The same thing is happening here. I mean, this is so obvious. It's unbelievable. S&P has not yet made a new high where you can see advanced decline, like goodbye. There's another uh, indicator you can look at, advanced decline volume minus declining volume. That also made a new high. So the advancing shares are seeing more volume than declining shares. So, again, a breadth um, indication that we should continue higher. 
How high should we go? Well, if I put my, my beautiful Ellie Wave hat on, which I love, the way I see this is we have a first push-up. That's your first, number one, a little bit of consolidation. This is your widespread participation for number three. Going back to Charles Dow, that's your widespread uh, participation. This is your fourth wave, and I do see one more wave five push-up. Uh, that doesn't come in. We don't find resistance until about 3,800 uh, next 12 to 24 months in the S&P. So I think we're going higher. Wait, did you say 3,800, Todd? That's my upside target. Yep. Yep. In, Bang. In what kind of? 24, two years, two and a half <laughs> years, five years. I don't know. We'll get there eventually. Eventually? I see the headlines That's not tomorrow. a forecast. <laughs> <laughs> that is where technical resistance comes in. I mean, if you okay. can see it, it just couldn't be any more perfectly drawn. I mean, we will encounter resistance. It depends on the angle of ascent. If we go straight up on a China deal, resistance comes in at 3,500. If it takes a long time to trickle up in a low-vol environment, uh-huh. you know, it's a higher uh, technical resistance. So it depends on the angle of, of approach. Wow. All right, Todd, thanks. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Let's say it's even 3,500, what Todd said. Right. That's 500 points from I, here. I, I see resistance a little lower than Todd. I see the overshoot at 3,075 and 3,100. I mean, if you, get a real, if you get a real overshoot level, you get to 3,150. But as Todd said, he could be talking about a two- to five-year sure. time horizon. We're talking about as soon as that deal is inked, you're looking at 3,150. Yeah. Well, talking about, you know, trading challenges is one thing and, and where we've come from, where we're going to go. The, the, the more important thing for the market right now is that we have to justify valuations. And we're talking about some of the biggest stocks in the market and at times when, when people have been worried about growth, people have been willing to pay for Microsoft. They've been willing to pay for um, higher safety multiple stocks. And that probably has included Apple, although, again, I don't think it's a high multiple stock. That's the environment we're in. But if you want to put the allegory that I think in a time frame that you can understand is 26 where we came out of this growth fear, the rally, we saw two extraordinary rallies in 2016 that took us into 2017. That's what this feels like. It feels like the transformation from, oh, wow, we're going into recession to, okay, things aren't that bad, even though we don't think they're that good. And that's the backdrop here. All right. Coming up, the Dean evaluation is back. He'll tell you why you should avoid the IPO market, where you should go looking for value instead. Plus, CNBC's annual delivering alpha coming to a close. We'll tell you what Wall Street's top investors where they're putting their money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Mr. Zuckerberg, how did the meeting go today? What was your message to lawmakers, Mr. Zuckerberg? Can you assure lawmakers that your platform will not be manipulated ahead of the next election? Did you talk about possibly breaking up Facebook? Did you talk about privacy legislation? Are you hopeful that it will come to the floor before the end of the year? Are you ready to deal with California's privacy legislation? That was our own Elon Moy uh, doing a valiant job. Very good effort. Facebook wow. CEO Mark Zuckerberg trying to answer, uh, get him to answer some questions. This after he met with lawmakers on the Hill. 
Um, did you get any answers from anyone today, Elon? Well, we got a couple of answers from the lawmakers, not from Mark Zuckerberg, Melissa. We know that Zuckerberg met with at least three Republican senators today, Mike Lee, Tom Cotton, and Josh Hawley. And we found that each meeting lasted about 30 to 45 minutes. And Zuckerberg did not answer questions from reporters at any point this afternoon. But the senators were a little bit more talkative. Mike Lee said that they discussed bias against conservatives, antitrust regulation, the Section 230 liability shield, and data privacy. Meanwhile, Josh Hawley said they had a very frank conversation, and the senator told Zuckerberg straight up that Facebook should sell off WhatsApp and Instagram. Apparently, Zuckerberg was not very receptive to that idea, though. But Facebook has outlined four areas where it wants to engage with Congress and with regulators. Harmful content, election integrity, privacy, and data portability. Now, Hawley was skeptical of some of those ideas, particularly around industry-led frameworks for privacy or data portability. He said he did not get any firm commitments for changes from the company and that there's been a lot of talk from Facebook, but not a whole lot of action. Melissa Zuckerberg will still be in D.C. tomorrow. We will see where he goes next. Back over to you. I presume you'll be on his tail, Elon. <laughs> we'll do our best. Okay. <laughs> Elon Moy in Washington for us. Thank you very much. Um, Senator Lee is very important. He heads the Senate's antitrust committee here. Um, what's at st- stake here? I mean, Tim was saying that if, if the market goes higher and growth participates, Facebook should ride the rally. I think it's pretty interesting that Facebook and Alphabet, for all intents and purposes, are trading within a few percent of their all-time highs. The headlines keep coming. They've got 30 states attorney generals. They've got the FTC, the DOJ, um, you know, Congress all over their tails, and the stock act well. And I think that we've been talking about this all year long. You know, Facebook's earnings estimates got cut dramatically for 2019, starting late last year, um, mid-year to the end of the year, and expectations got really low. And it just looks really cheap, especially when sales are expected to continue to grow at 20 percent plus a clip. They are not selling off those um, different groups or anything like that. And their moat just gets bigger. Yeah. This is his first appearance on Capitol Hill since those hearings, right, of a 28. Right. And you can make the argument that actually bad news could be good news for Facebook. I mean, maybe it's a more valuable entity if they happen to break it up, whatever it looks like there. So to Tim's earlier point, I mean, it pains me to say it, but it actually has traded well since April. It's made Basically higher highs, higher lows. You wander into, I think, the October 30th release thereabout. Does it continue to trend higher into earnings? I I believe that it will, and it's going to retest that all-time high, which was 222 or thereabouts. All right. From Capitol Hill to Wall Street, the ninth annual Delivering Alpha Conference taking place right here in New York City today, where the who's who of the investment world share their top ideas. Let's get to Leslie Picker with all the highlights from today's event. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa, big themes today included public versus private markets, the implications of negative interest rate, and the fallout from the trade war with China. There were also mixed views on the state of the U.S. economy. American economy is booming. It's absolutely undeniable. We think that the consumer is the bright spot in the U.S. economy, but that CapEx and the manufacturing sector is obviously already in recession. The short-termism of investors is what kills the long-term ability to compound. I think my biggest fear is that people are underinvested still from the hangover of 2008. In addition to macro ideas, some notable investors gave their specific picks. Jim Chanos spoke about two shorts today, including that in Grubhub. The stock fell sharply after he revealed the position and criticized the company for, quote, making almost no money per order. 
Chanos also said he was short Davida, a kidney dialysis company. Leon Cooperman said he's long WPX Energy and also likes Cigna. Len Kacher was bullish on Uber as well as SoftBank. He said Disney is his largest holding a bet on streaming direct to consumer. Melissa. All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, who's been at the conference all day long there in New York City. Um, which pick would you go with or go against, Grasso? I agree with uh, Chainos on Grubhub. The competition mm-hmm. is, is way too tight for them. And there's just it's becoming such a commoditized business that they were the darling. And I think that now they're just getting thrown out. So I don't know how much lower it can go, but it does seem like everyone is lining up on a positioning standpoint to be negative on Grubhub. You've got Amazon, right, that delivers food, and you've got Uber Eats, and both of those companies are willing to lose money on every single thing they sell. Yeah, and and so I'm not sure anybody's perfected the business model, but the valuation is what you can continue to go after in an environment where the competition is coming from all sides. So um, good for Jim. I mean, this is a stock that was $160 stock. It's traded, you know, $140 stock that's traded down kind of in the mid-60s. The question is how far you push this short, and, and at this valuation, there's something left. It's pretty fascinating that we have, you know, we have DoorDash. You have all these ones that are in the in the uh, private markets. They're still funded by VCs. They're still actually being afforded to lose money to compete in this space. And I think it's really important to go back and remember that Grubhub and Seamless, they were both public years ago, and they merged. They recognized that this was going to be a really tough business. And this is a company that had a billion dollars in sales last year, or this this trailing 12 months, and had on a gap basis net income of $26 million. It tells you how competitive this is. It's going to be really hard for all of those ones that are still private to come out to the public market, you're going to see more consolidation. Well, I don't know where Mr. Chanos is short the stock. I mean, I think that out does matter. Tim's right. I mean, this was a $150-something stock at $60 now. Trades at still a big valuation. But you got to be, I mean, it's a scary stock. 32% short interest. You just have the headline, Shake Shack's partnering up with them, McDonald's. I mean, that's not insignificant. I do think there is further downside, but you have to ask yourself, You've seen what happens with high short interest names before and the violent moves to the upside. So I would be I'd be a little bit scared of playing this from the short side at current levels, my opinion. All right. We're going to go take a break here. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Is owning Costco stock turning into too much of a good thing? We'll explain. Plus, Tesla's Model 3 winning a top safety rating. But is it a safe time to buy the stock? A debate straight ahead. More Fast Money after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Beyond Meat, finishing the day higher, shares well off their peak, but the stock is still up more than 500% since its May IPO. All of this is rival Impossible Foods, had a key ingredient in the Impossible Burger approved by the FDA, sending the company soaring to a $5 billion valuation. Impossible Foods burgers rolling out tomorrow at Gelson's, that's a Southern California supermarket, and the company plans to sell its products in grocery stores nationwide by next year. It's not all rosy, though, in the IPO market. Uber is down 25% since going public at a sky-high valuation. And they aren't even the scariest cautionary IPO tale in recent memory. So let's bring in the dean of valuation himself, Aswat Damodaran, to help us make a sense of the IPO market, uh, shine a light on, on some of these IPOs. Professor, always great to see you. It's good to be back. Um, so let's let's start off with Beyond Meat with this. I mean, we always knew that competition was looming, but it's knocking at the doorstep at this point. I think it's interesting because I think Beyond Meat had the game to itself for a while. I mean, it's the only macro bet you could make if you thought vegan and vegetarian food was on the horizon. But I think um, that's, that's over now with Impossible Foods. Not suggesting an overnight correction, but now you've got a game where you've got competition. And I think the competition is only going to get wider because there are going to be other listings in this space. I mean, the space is going to be big. The question is, is there enough room for all these players to become big players? And I don't think there is. And it may be early to try and think of a valuation for impossible, but in terms of, I mean, if you think that the Beyond Meat valuation has to come down, then, mm-hmm. then, the, then the impossible valuation can never be as high as any point in Beyond's history? It's never too early to start a valuation. I mean, you're, okay. going to be, you're going to be wrong and horribly wrong when you start early, but you've got to start early on these, on these companies and learn as you go along. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I would be inclined to believe that these companies are going to converge in value sooner rather than later, simply because when I look at them from the outside, I don't see why one company should be worth three, four, five times the other. So I think there's a convergence coming. And then the question is when more players enter in, is, is the pie going to get big enough for all these players to stay big? And, and that's going to be the big question. Let's uh, move on to Uber because that seems like it's the poster mm-hmm. child for a, a quote-unquote failed IPO and that it's below its, its IPO price. Uh, at what point does this look attractive to you? I, you know what? Uber and Lyft, at, at the prices they're at, I think, they, I mean, if I were going to jump into this market, I would pick Lyft over Uber still. Simply because Uber's ambitions scare me, I think that when you're too ambitious, you're going to spend too much. So if I were making a ride-sharing bet, I'd make it lift over Uber. But uh, I think Uber at its existing price is not badly priced. I valued it at about $30 per share at the time of its IPO. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very quickly adjusted down towards that level. But I just think Lyft is a better buy. So in terms of thinking about uh, Lyft's valuation, I mean, do you, do you impute that part of the valuation into Uber for its U.S. business, or does Lyft have a much better valuation in the U.S. just because that's its only market and it's focused it's, on the U.S. market? Yeah. It's not just that it's, it's got a better valuation. Even if you gave Uber and Lyft the same market share of the U.S. market, Lyft is just a better buy because you're getting it at a better market cap relative to that valuation. Uber, you're playing, paying for their global ambitions in car service, as well as Uber Freight and all the rest of the bets that Uber is trying to make. And I don't think you want to spread yourself too thin in this business right now. They have enough stuff on their plate with car service that going out and looking for more trouble doesn't seem like a great strategy for me. I want to move on to some of the IPOs in the pipeline. Peloton, 
I'm not really sure what to compare this to. Are there comparables? What do you use? I I uh, I think you know if if it breaks through in this space, it's going to it's going to recreate the fitness space. Right now is splintered. I mean, you don't have very many players with more than two to three billion dollars in revenues. So for Peloton to be worth eight billion in in market cap or ten billion at the twenty six to twenty nine offering price, it's closer to ten than eight billion because of the options outstanding. They need to have eight, ten, twelve billion dollars in revenues. Either they're going to recreate this market by changing the way we exercise, and they have a case to make that maybe the the game is changing, or they just are not going to reach there. So it really has to recreate the fitness space. It's a fitness. I mean, if you think about it, it, it can't stay a cult company. You cannot be a ten billion dollar company with only the five hundred thousand or a million members. I mean, you're going to go to three, four, five million members, and. Paying forty dollars a month—I mean, that's two and a half times what I pay for Netflix—and that doesn't strike me <laughs> as something that most people would be willing to pay for whatever content they can deliver. Hey, Aswath, it's Tim. It sounds like so. You know, here's one you could be constructive on relative to what's already yeah. out there. You're certainly very, ne- very negative on a couple of the ones we've spoken about. Talk about the overall environment for the IPOs that are coming, because it sounds to you like there isn't necessarily a pipeline of glory or necessarily despair. Um, the cost of capital is almost free. Um, are we going to continue to see this pipeline roll out? And is there any challenges to that? I think the real challenge is I think VCs have encouraged. Companies that scale up with terrible business models and horrible corporate governance, and they've given them higher and higher pricing. Uh, if there's nothing good that comes out of the WeWork offering, maybe the only thing we'll get is perhaps VCs look at the business models they're pushing on companies. Because I've talked to young startups, and the the pressure to scale up is so great that you're ending up with these huge huge companies in terms of revenues with terrible business models, and I think. And I, I, I hope to see, you know, when, when I see an Airbnb, uh, uh, perhaps a, a greater sense of realism about how to make money off these revenues. And, I, and that's what I'm hoping the WeWork messages to young companies coming public. All right. Aswa, thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you. The Dean of Valuation joining us from San Diego. Um, so the silver lining for WeWork is maybe more rational IPO market? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So you got the news today that Airbnb is planning on going public mm-hmm. next year. And what's interesting, that that is like a company that's massively disruptive. They just said that they could do a billion dollars, or they did a billion dollars in sales in Q2. You know, So, I, you know, again, we won't know what valuation is when it comes. Um, it seems like that one is a very rational process. It's a business that is really, um, you know, dis- disintermediating a lot of processes in the yeah, hospitality how many lawsuits, though. I, I like the idea of Airbnb, but think about how many lawsuits that we've already seen with cities and municipalities over how, they're going, how their business model is going to extend any further, what's legal and what's not legal. That's the only thing that would the hold me back The regulatory overhang. I, I think one of the most important things he said was the horrible corporate governance because uh, investors just aren't doing their homework on this. And I mean some of the most sophisticated investors in the world. I don't mean the retail investor. Retail investors not usually get into these deals, by the way, on an IPO. They certainly didn't get to them in Silicon Valley. So um, I I think the clubbiness of the, you know, and it may sound like I'm harping on Silicon Valley, but I got to tell you, you know, a lot of this stuff comes through unchecked. Um, They've essentially been built up by a community that all invest in each other. And suddenly you're left with companies that 
don't really make money. Well, the clubbiness, but also just the, the amount of, of free money slashing. Or, I mean, that has an impact. They've got to put that money somewhere, and so they let these things slide. Another un- unintended consequence of central banks around the world, people get lazy. I mean, SoftBank, I don't know anybody at SoftBank. They made an investment at a $48 billion yeah. valuation. We're talking about a company that could go public somewhere between 12 and $15 billion. Somebody, and I'm not, I don't want people to lose their job, I mean, that's, that's a bad trade in, in trader parlance. But in all the things that For he said... For supposedly inside tech money. Yeah, but tech guys, wait, 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 hold on. Where world. is this money I mean, supposed to go, though? Where is it coming? So it's coming from so- it. Hold on. It's coming from sovereign wealth funds. It's coming from pension funds. It's yeah, coming from big mutual funds. They don't want to put it in your MAGA. They don't want to put it... They're, they're trying to diversify. They're trying to get your a better MAGA. return. So, you know, they're taking that's, a 7 to 10 That's what guys are talking about. What I'm saying is central banks. This is pushing... This is basically... Greenspan again, guy. Just blame Greenspan. We don't have a long enough show, oh, but okay. I will. And I'll say again, <laughs> biggest villain of the 21st century. Say oh, it again. Well. Put it on. Roll the tape. He looks like a real. He looks like a nice man to me. Yeah, I'm sure he's anyway. lovely. Coming up, Altria falling as a battle against vaping heats up. Is a tobacco giant's e-cigarette bet going up in smoke? Plus, Tesla's Model 3 getting a top safety rating. That sent the stock higher. So is this a green light for the automaker to rev up? Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big buzzkill today for Altria as the Food and Drug Administration disclosed that it had opened a criminal probe into the vaping supply chain earlier this summer. This is yet another person has died due to a vaping-related illness today. That makes eight total deaths so far. So what does that mean for this stock? Um, should the valuation be depressed because of the hangover, basically, from Juul? Yeah, look, they paid... $12.8 billion for 35% of Juul at the absolute top of the market because they were running scared because they missed this trade. And, and so you know, the, the only silver lining here is actually people are smoking again. Um, and, and I think this is something that is a very short-term windfall for these guys. The one thing I'll say about Altria, and the reason I owned this stock for a long time and I still have a piece, is it's a very diversified company. I mean, they, they own pieces of, of beer industry. They have, they have investments uh, in, in South Africa. And this is a company that's invested in consumer products. It's a consumer products company with a heavy tobacco bent. But this is terrible news, and you can see it weighing on the, on the, on the valuation. Investors have voted with their feet so far. Um, if you removed e-cigarettes from their business, this stock is worth the money right now. Yeah. I mean, in this sort of environment where dividends reign supreme, consumer products sort of uh, dispensable, this should, should be up for the year. Except the headlines have been, it's shooting first, asking questions later. And when you're an $80 billion market cap company and just invested $12.5 billion on something that might have to be written to zero, maybe, that's problematic. They just so, made a terrible investment in cannabis. I mean, they way yes. overpaid for, for a piece of Kronos. It's not an indictment on Kronos. It's an indictment on the valuation in which they paid to get, you know, a significant piece of this company. This is so. two years of decline, though, for a, a company where its product, when Tim just said they were going, the Juul investment was supposed to be their saving grace. It's not going to be their saving grace. I, I think the money that they make outside of their core expertise is not enough to move the needle. And the talks with Philip Morris, I mean, that's got, I mean, if I were Philip Morris, I'd say no thank you at this point, right? Nice I mean, knowing yeah, you. Yeah, the, the only off? thing I'll say about this is we, we, we are very early in the vaping controversies, but to think that there's never going to be vaping again, I think is also idiotic. Um, I think there, look, it's been, uh, there's, Clearly, things to work out on the health side, FDA, CDC, you name it, they're all involved, but it's not going away. It's, it sounds like there's three away. chemicals that you need to come out and say we're not using this in our vape products. But are but, they replaceable? 
Exactly. So uh, if they're replaceable, but a lot of these cannabis companies, this is their biggest, their second biggest revenue generator are the vaping cartridges in cannabis other than flour. So if they're not using it, there's got to be a way to get around those three ingredients. Yeah, I mean, the, look, the, what we've seen so far is the presence of heavy metals from some of the hardware. We've also seen pesticides. We've also right. seen vitamin E acetate. These don't have to be in vape, and they don't have to be in the oils. So there, there's, this is being done properly in many quarters, I will say that. All right. Altria, not the only buzzkill today. Costco also getting cut after a downgrade by Bernstein to underperform for market perform. The firm saying the retailer could be facing membership exhaustion mm. and is especially vulnerable in the case of an economic downturn. Guy. Yeah, that could be the case, absolutely. But you haven't seen it in the data yet. I mean, the memberships are still a huge driver. There's, some, there's no significant drop-off. So maybe Bernstein's ahead of the curve, and they do very thoughtful research. But I'd push back and say, into earnings, I believe on October 3rd, you buy the stock on the dip. Carter Worth was on this early. This is a stock that held in here back in the spring when the market was going lower. I think that tells you something. The knock, actually, is valuation, but I still think you buy it on this dip. I mean, up 42% this year. I, I, agree, I agree. I think you still have to buy it. I don't know about the membership exhaustion. When people have a membership, they seem to re-up and renew at alarmingly high rates, which but is good. But does membership have to grow to sustain this no, I don't, No, I don't, I don't think it does have to grow. The stock is, as you said, up 41% or so. The technical level is 282. It's the 50-day moving average. Mm-hmm. If it breaks there, maybe the story Yeah, but changed. it's the recurring nature of, the, the, uh, of that membership model is why it has this premium valuation. And when you strip that out or you start to see that decelerate, that's where you have a problem, like how you value this big box retailer, because we the know whole group, most though, of them are right. much cheaper than that. You're right. Yep. But the entire group has the same chart. So, I mean, you know, you tell me. Which it, group? It's retail? Big box retail. Okay. Um, Target, Walmart, Costco, mm-hmm. you know, Tesco, you name it. They all look like this, despite the fact that I think there's enormous competition. There's labor costs. There's inflation. And, and I, I don't know why you have to chase them up here. Up next, Tesla shares revving up after the Model 3 sedan. Got a top safety rating. We'll tell you if this is the beginning of a bigger U-turn for the stock. Plus, Chinese consumers turning sour on Apple. We'll break down the report, tell you what it could mean for the stock's big rally this year. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla topping the tape today. The stock getting a boost after the Institute of Highway Safety gave the Model 3 sedan its highest safety rating for its crashworthiness. This is the first Tesla model to receive this high rating. It's been a rocky road for Tesla with the stock down 26% this year. Could this mark the beginning of a turnaround? Steve Grasso, what do you think? No, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think. So. I, I mean, just think about how how much a negative battery accident is going to is going or an autonomous driving accident is going to take out of it. I don't think this one headline is a saving grace for Tesla. So, isn't that sort of an? I mean, that's an event that may or may not happen. It may or may, may not may happen, not but there's the a lot of there's debt issues, there's uh-huh. ca- there's cash burn issues, there's a lot of other issues with Tesla other than this. Are you still short? I'm still short, and, and I tell you what, it's a great place to put a short on. I mean, we just got all. Deliveries uh, a couple weeks ago. They were down 31% year over year. The Model 3, which is supposed to be the saving grace, which has only been really something out there for about 15 months, is, is the one that's down about 26%. That's too bad. The cash cow, which is the S, is down almost 60% year over year. The only ones that are profitable. So it's a company that lost a billion one in the first six months of the year. Nothing has changed at all other than the stock price, in my view. Therefore, yes, I am still short. I'll play devil's advocate okay. here to, to you guys' bearishness with these guys here. On the other um, side. China. 
They, they might be very well positioned in China. They just got the tax uh, exemption there. The Gigafactory is going to be up and running it's in Shanghai. Huge bull case without question. I mean, you know, and I'll and I give Dan kudos again. I gave him a Whoa. top of show. Give me went Whoa. down with 180. You know, he's talked about people pushing on something that might not be there. You might get a relief rally. But now I find myself more in Tim's camp. You can make the argument that the $60 rally, a lot of what you just talked about is priced in. So I'm more inclined to try to sell it here and look for a retest of the lows than to buy it for the breakout. You know, it's interesting. So these cars were supposedly, like, made to order. They don't have dealerships. I got an email from Tesla scrambling a, 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 a few, around, a few weeks ago, and yeah. it said, put in your zip code. And there was 100 Model 3s. That brand were new. available, brand ready to buy. And anecdot- no, brand new. And anecdotally, um, I think on average, among the 100 that I looked through, the average price was in the high 40s. So, you know, it goes back to this is not a mass market car. The average cost of a car in America is 35. They're not making them to order as they were when they were capacity constrained mm-hmm. a few years ago with the Model S and that sort of thing. So to me, it seems like there's actually a glut of these cars. Well, we, we get these weird quarter end mailings out of them every quarter. Yeah. I mean, they're scrambling to make quarter end. Yeah. So I, I don't think demand's good. All right, let's move on here. Trade tensions taking a bite out of Apple's popularity in China. This according to new reports, a new China consumer survey showing in the past year, Apple has fallen from number 11 on the top brand list all the way down to number 24. While Apple's fall from grace hasn't hit the stock yet, up 40% this year, could this be a warning sign of pain to come? It's worth noting that uh, Huawei uh, came in at number two. Shocker. Of course they did. Alipay. So it moved up in the... Should, should we be worried? Are we well, setting up for another? We, we certainly have traded report? this stock in the past as if yeah. we should be worried. Um, and I don't think people are, are, are really paying a lot of attention to the China data. I will say, you know, Apple lost their, their pole position in terms of the China, Chinese hardware market uh, three years ago. So um, it's been slipping. But the question really is to what extent, again, they can build the services business on top of that. And I think that's really why people are not as concerned about China. Yeah. Uh, well, I just to say that last Q4, this stock traded... 142 after they released a horrible quarter in China specifically. So all this data doesn't seem to be great. And then some of the um, commentary about the, the product launches, the 11, 11 Pro, the 11 Pro Max, was that Chinese consumers were skewing towards the cheaper one, which has not been the case. They, they were always going for the more the expensive end. one. And that may speak to something what's going on with China about consumer spending in general. But they don't give us units anymore, Apple. Right. So this may see, say something about ASPs, which could be um, a headwind for this. The other problem is that they're just at a disadvantage in terms of the technology on their phone. They don't have a 5G offering, right. and their Chinese competitors have 5G offering. I'd be worried about that more than right sentiment, sentiment, sentiment right now because it's what people say and what they do are two different things. The stock's up 40%. I think it was a positioning nightmare around that 142 level. Now you see the bounce back. 5G is concerning to me in China. That's the real concern. All right, coming up. The Fed may have just cut rates, but one options trader just bet close to a million bucks. There's still money in one big bank name. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Expedia CEO. That full interview is at the top of the hour at Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fed days in the rearview mirror and investors are calculating where to place their bets after that 25 basis point cut. Over in the options market, one trader's taking a nearly $1 million chance on one of the big banks. Stands over at the plasma with the action. Dan. Yeah, hey, Mel. It's in one of the investment banks, Morgan Stanley. Um, call volume is five times that of puts today. Um, a lot of it was in one trade in particular shortly after the open when Morgan Stanley was trading at 44 and a quarter. There was a buyer of 7,000 of the November 4 46 calls, paying a dollar. 
two for those. Those break even at 47.02, up almost 7% in two months on November expiration. We know that we're going to get a lot of bank earnings. We know that there's a lot of potential catalysts between now and then. And I just want to go to the chart here because this one's kind of interesting. This has been um, an underperformer, Morgan Stanley. We were just talking about JP Morgan. Does this have the ability on a material breakout to drag a lot of the other U.S. banks? The question is, is it a breakout or is it a fake out? Who knows? We know what's happened in JP Morgan. The last few times it's gotten up to the high teens, 120. But let's go to uh, Morgan Stanley here. This is that $46 level. That's the strike that this trader chose um, to buy here. So obviously this was a big breakdown level last year. Um, Prior support becomes resistance. Kind of interesting here. Looks like it's trying to bottom, possibly. But let's go to the five-year chart here. This thing is making what I think some technicians might call a wedge, and it's getting tighter and tighter, as my main man Carter Work might say. It might be resolving itself very soon, one way or the other. But here's the thing. When you see an outright call purchase like this out um, in time and a little out of the money, I think this trader is looking to kind of say... You think it's going higher. This is implied volatility, the price of options. Relatively cheap here um, over the last uh, year or so. So what this is saying to me is that option prices are cheap enough if you want to lever up an existing long position or make a bet that the stock is going to go higher on an outright basis. Long premium directional bets are one way to do it here that are relatively cheap. Will NS follow JPM? I think so. I think JPM is best of breed, and I think money center banks are different than, frankly, Morgan Stanley's business now. But um, what we've seen, if the sector is investable, it's investable because JP Morgan is investable, and I do think others can follow. We have seen this lag effect. I like the trade. Yeah, it makes sense. JP Morgan is trading two times basically tangible book, whereas Morgan Stanley is 1.1 time. To Tim's point, J.P. Morgan deserves the premium valuation, but that, that much. So it's not so much J.P. Morgan will come down, it's that Morgan Stanley go up. So I tend to agree with this trade. I, I don't like Morgan Stanley in this space. The only one I do like in this space is J.P. Morgan. Last time Morgan Stanley was here, as Dan pointed out, it caved at this level 15%. All right. For more options action, tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we got the final trades. So we were good enough to tell you the breakout in Samsung. What do you think the biggest weighting in the EEM, the Emerging Market Index, is that in Baba's breakout? Go EEM for a breakout. Steve. I'm going to go with the Kramer effect. The CEO of Expedia is going to be on tonight with Jim after this show. It's up 20% year to date. Expedia. Dan. Yeah, pro tip, always go with the Kramer effect. Um, hey, listen, just because you have this bounce in rates, I think they've hit resistance here. I think you buy the TLT here. We were debating the merits of steel-cut oatmeal we were in the debating break. the derivation yeah. of steel-cut oatmeal and why it's called steel-cut. And, we and do we care? about? No, I mean, in other words, do you, guy, do you go out of your way for steel-cut oatmeal? It takes a do. long time to cook. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. I talked myself into international business machines during the show, Melissa. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim. Starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.